Welcome to the St. Richard's Episcopal Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Rev. Cameron Nations. For more information, please visit strichards.org. So being set free from the bondage of our sins and given the liberty of that abundant life which, you have made known, which has been made known to us, rather, in our Savior Jesus Christ, I think is the thread that links all of our readings together this morning. It's one of those Sundays where the prayer that we prayed at the beginning of the service, you know how I get frustrated when they don't link up. You know, I've preached on that. But it's one of those Sundays where the prayer we prayed at the beginning of the service is reflected beautifully in each of the readings that we hear this morning. Of course, there's the gospel reading, which I just read about uh, Jesus being um, teaching by the shore, and he goes out with some of the disciples who'd been fishing. They had a really bad night out there. They hadn't caught anything. And Jesus just says, yeah, try one more time. I'm like, well, I don't think it's going to work, but okay, we'll do it if you tell us to, Jesus. So they throw their net over the side of the boat, and what happens? They catch so many fish, the boat starts to sink. But what is, the, what is the response, though, when this happens? I think this is interesting. It almost feels like a non sequitur in a way, because if I was a fisherman, and all of a sudden I was catching so many fish that my boat was sinking, I might be like, yes, right, or something like that. But what does Peter say? Well, Peter, Simon is here. Uh, it's not yet Peter. Simon Peter, okay. What does Simon say? Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. He's so taken by the abundance, as our prayer says, right? The the liberty of that abundant life that he is suddenly, it's like a a mirror being held up to him and he sees how kind of unworthy he is of that grace, this transformative grace. And of course, Jesus goes on to say, don't be afraid. From now on, you're not just going to be catching fish, you're going to be catching people. And what do they do? They drop their nets and follow him in response to the liberty of this abundant grace. Now, the past few weeks, I've been preaching mostly out of Corinthians. We talked a lot about Paul, and here we see sort of the end of this first letter to the Corinthians. And here, too, we see God's abundant grace. Uh, And and so I want to refer to Paul. I think it's only fair since we've been preaching about Paul. Um, And so let's talk about this passage from 1 Corinthians. At the beginning of it, we see a really cool thing. Um, And unless you are sort of following along in a study Bible or something, you might not know this. But what we heard at the beginning of today's reading from 1 Corinthians is actually the oldest proclamation of the gospel that we have. So here's the thing, right? The Gospels are what we think of when we think of Gospel proclamations, but this letter from Paul actually predates the composition of the Gospels that we have. This is the earliest attestation of the resurrection um, that we have in the New Testament. We heard it this morning, how uh, uh, this good news that had been proclaimed to the Corinthians, which, uh, which had been proclaimed to Paul, right? Um, He says, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you, which you in turn received, and which you stand. Uh, For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, first thing, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, 
Peter. So Peter appears again. Peter's got too many names, okay? But he appears to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, okay? It is the essence of the gospel proclamation that Jesus died for our sins and that he was raised again on the third day. But did you notice in today's passage that there's more than one resurrection story in the reading from 1 Corinthians? There's more than one resurrection story. The first is that gospel proclamation, but the second comes right after. So he talks about how Jesus then, after he was raised from the dead, he appears to all these people, he appears to the disciples, the apostles, all these folks, and then he says, last of all, Last of all, Paul writes, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I, he writes, am the least of the apostles, unfit even to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. Now this phrase, to one untimely born, is one of those phrases in scripture that gets a little muddled in its translation, because when we just read it plainly, we are uh, kind of probably left to assume, right, that what Paul's saying here is he was just like born in the wrong year. You know, like if he'd been born at a different time, maybe he would have been one of the 12 or something like that. He was untimely born. Uh, but it's actually a little stronger than that, the, the word that's used here and the language that's used here. Um, the language that Paul uses, the, this phrase, one untimely born, actually doesn't mean that he was born in the wrong year. It actually means like he was born at the wrong, too early, like in gestation, I mean. He was, he was premature. He was born prematurely. Now, to us... That is a scary thing, right, to have a baby born prematurely. But in the ancient world, that basically meant the baby wasn't going to make it. That's basically what that was. And so the word here also is not just referring to a premature birth, but it can in some instances refer to a stillbirth. And this is the language that Paul's using here when he says, I was as one untimely born. He's not just saying that he was born in the wrong year or the wrong era, but that he was born into the world without life in him. This is strong language. But it is language that Paul uses because I believe it is the way that he feels about the power of God's grace. For I am the least of the apostles, he says, unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And we know what Paul believes about the church of God. We talked about that just a couple of weeks ago, that Paul sees the church as the body of Christ. And so here, I believe that probably what's on Paul's heart is I was not born with life in me because I was not just a persecutor of the church. I didn't just do bad things. But I was doing violence to the body of Christ associating himself with the Romans who flogged Jesus and put him on the cross. <laughs> That's heavy stuff. That's why he says, I am the least of the apostles, not worthy even to be called one. So, I also believe 
that this, uh, the, the strength of this language here is actually why the thing that Paul says right after this may seem to us on plain reading to be kind of arrogant. Because what does he go on to say? He goes on to say, I had to work harder than any of these people, any of the apostles. Right? It's like, well, gee, Paul, if you do say so yourself, you know. <laughs> but I actually think this is extremely sincere and heartfelt because I think what he's actually saying there is, here, here are the fishermen, right, by, by the Sea of Galilee, and all that they have to put down is their nets to follow Jesus. But he had not just to put down nets, he had to put down his persecution of the body of Christ the church. He had to work harder than any of them to say yes to following Jesus. That's what I think he's communicating there. The power of God's grace. It is by God's grace that he did these things. That's why I say there's not one resurrection story here in this passage, Jesus' resurrection from the dead, but Paul's very witness as one who persecuted the church and then went on to basically plant churches, missionize the Gentiles, right, all across the Mediterranean. That's a resurrection story, too. His very life and testimony is evidence of the resurrection that he preaches and reminds the, uh, the Corinthian church here of. The good news for us, friends, is that Paul's testimony is that none of us are, lo are lost or beyond redemption. Paul is essentially saying here, look, if I can be saved, you can be saved. Right? If I can do it, anyone can do it. Because it's not by my doing, but by the grace of God that I am what I am, he continues. And his grace towards me has not been in vain. None of us are lost. God's grace is more than sufficient. None of us can ever get outside the bounds of God's grace. There is no situation too messy, no thing that we could do that would put us beyond God's embrace. There is nothing, nothing. Now, so this is not just something that we see here in our gospel reading with, you know, Peter saying, Lord, I'm a sinner, right? I, I can't, I'm not worthy to follow you. It's not just something that comes up in our reading from 1 Corinthians. We also see this in our reading from Isaiah today. It seems Isaiah felt this same uh, compulsion too when he encounters the glory of God in this vision that we see here in our reading today. I am lost, he exclaims. I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among people of unclean lips, he says. But here too, redemption is possible. Because one of the seraphs, remember what Spencer just read for us so well, is one of the seraphs, he he takes this coal from the altar of the Lord and he touches Isaiah's mouth with it. And he says, now that, or it, seraph, I don't know, the seraph says, I don't know what pronoun would describe a seraph, but uh, he says, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Redemption. Now Isaiah is so moved by this that when God calls out for someone to send to his people, he replies very famously, here am I, send me. Now this is a call story, similar actually to the call story we heard last week. Remember last week we heard uh, the call of another prophet, the call of Jeremiah, and uh, God tells Jeremiah what he's going to do, and 
Jeremiah gives us a little bit of an excuse, doesn't he, though, right? I'm only a boy. I can't do it. I don't have the right words. I'm not ready. I'm too ill-equipped. I have to say, at least Isaiah's excuse that I'm a man of unclean lips living amongst a man of unclean lips, like, that feels a little bit more like, I'm just sinful. I can't do it. I don't know why. That seems a little more less of a cop-out, I don't know, uh, than uh, to give Jeremiah a hard time. Uh, but, uh, but yes, it's the same thing, right? Uh, God has placed this call on Jeremiah's life uh, that we read about last week, and he says, I'm only a boy, I can't do it. But just like what happens to Isaiah, God gives Jeremiah what he needs. Remember, he gives him the words to say just as he gives Isaiah what he needs, which is forgiveness, redemption. And that's the same gift that God gives to Paul, that God gives to the disciples, and that God gives to us. Redemption. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but this is one place actually where I should just keep repeating the same thing over and over again. No one is beyond the bounds of God's redemption. No one. God leads us each to new life, redeeming us. Through Jesus' resurrection, our own resurrection is made possible both in this life and the life to come. It's my prayer today that we would be so moved by the lavishness of this grace, by, as our, our prayer says, by the liberty of that abundant life, that we too would proclaim Like Isaiah, when God comes calling to us, here I am, send me. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For service times or more information on St. Richard's, please visit strichards.org.